Hello there and welcome to Legally Bear. I am your host Gareth Horrocks and in this podcast we summarise and examine recent interesting judgments because equity will not suffer a wrong to be without a podcast. Does the government's coronavirus self-employment income support scheme discriminate against new mothers? That was the question before Mrs Justice Whipple in R on the application of the Motherhood Plan and Her Majesty's Treasury. The citation for this case is 2021 EWHC 309. During the first national lockdown, the Treasury introduced the Self-Employment Income Support Scheme. The scheme was designed to compensate self-employed people for the profits they would lose to the pandemic. The level of support given would depend on past profitability. Compensation was based on someone's average trading profits over the preceding three full tax years. The scheme provided a self-employed person with a taxable grant worth 80% of their average monthly profits over the last three years, with a maximum of up to £2,500 a month. The first claimant was an NGO that advocated for new mothers, known as Pregnant Then Screwed, and the second is a self-employed energy analyst who had been on maternity leave twice in the last three tax years. The claimants argued that the scheme had a discriminatory impact on women who had taken maternity leave during the last three tax years. The Treasury judged how much compensation to give by looking at past profitability. Now, the problem for new mothers is that because of their maternity leave, past profitability was not an accurate proxy for current profitability. So they were going to be shortchanged by this machine-based assessment. The claimants challenged the scheme on two main grounds. First, because it unlawfully discriminates against self-employed women who have taken a period of leave relating to maternity or pregnancy in the three preceding tax years contrary to Article 14, read with Article 1 of Protocol 1 of the Human Rights Convention. This ground is advanced on the basis that the discrimination takes one of two forms, either conventional indirect discrimination or discrimination of the flamenos type, in either case resulting in an unjustified disadvantage to this group of women. The second ground was that the defendant breached the public sector equality duty in section 149 of the Equality Act 2010. So the court had to determine whether there was a breach of Article 14, and if so, whether this breach was justified. They then had to decide whether there was a breach of the public sector equality duty. So first to ground one. Uh, examining whether the scheme is discriminatory, whether it breaches Article 14. Let's first look to the claimant's argument that the scheme led to conventional indirect discrimination. The claimants argued that the scheme indirectly discriminates against new mothers. The scheme does not set out to discriminate, but it has a disproportionately prejudicial effect. The scheme hands out payments based on the average trading profits of the last three years. Due to maternity reasons, new mothers have worked less in that time, so they will receive smaller payments than they would otherwise be entitled to. 
the court held that there was no indirect discrimination in paragraphs 62 and 64. Citing uh, Adiatu, paragraph 149 of Adiatu, it was noted that the disadvantage is not caused by the scheme itself, rather it is a disadvantage which flows from an absence or a reduction in a person's income in the past. In addition to this, there is no hidden barriers to eligibility or to the level of payment. It is no harder for a woman who has been on maternity leave to qualify for the scheme or to calculate their payment. The same rule applies to all. The level of payment is based on past trading profits. The fact that some claimants will receive lower payments than others simply reflects the fact of lower earnings in past years. So let's now turn to the uh, Flamenos discrimination argument. Uh, so this is a broader concept of discrimination, which holds that uh, just as like cases should be treated alike, so different cases should be treated differently. Women on maternity leave must be afforded different treatment to account for the period of lost earnings related to childbirth. Adopting this one-size-fits-all approach is discriminatory. The court was not persuaded that there had been Flamenos discrimination, in paragraph 66, Justice Whipple held that recent mothers were in a unique situation in the past. The claimants are demanding different treatment in the present for those who were in a different situation in the past. The court held that there was no authority which requires different treatment in the present based off of a different situation in the past. Failure to apply different treatment in the present could therefore not amount to unlawful discrimination. The Adiatu point also ruled out Flamenos discrimination in paragraph 67. The disadvantage identified by recent mothers stems not from the scheme, but from earning less in past years. The scheme's failure to rectify historic disadvantage cannot amount to discrimination. There is no requirement to now compensate recent mothers through a higher level of benefits. So the court was persuaded that Article 14 had not been breached, and there was no discrimination in either a conventionally indirect way or in a Flamenos way. But even if the court was wrong about that, even if there had been discrimination of either kind, the court held that it would still have been justified. The test on justification is whether the scheme was MWRF, manifestly without reasonable foundation. So this is quite a high threshold, the question for the court was, is the foundation advanced by the defendant reasonable? The Treasury relied on five separate justifications. The first is the purpose of the scheme, which was to provide support for self-employed people whose businesses were adversely affected by the pandemic. The stated purpose was reasonable, and it was reasonable to seek to advance that purpose by calculating the payments by reference to average trading profits. The claimants argued that the stated purpose would have been better achieved had an adjustment to the level of payment been made for new mothers. However, the court held that such an adjustment would have gone beyond the purpose of the scheme and created a new purpose, correcting perceived inequalities in the past. The second justification is policy delivery. It was reasonable for the defendant to adopt a simple and quick approach applicable to all, as the circumstances of the first national lockdown demanded quick relief for the self-employed. The claimant's proposed adjustment for new mothers would have introduced complexities which would have led to additional costs and delays 
and would have required more sophisticated IT and greater human intervention. Such an adjustment would have given rise to further anomalies and also to further hard cases, which would have slowed down the delivery. The third justification was a desire to minimise fraud. The desire for claims to be verifiable by reference to data already held by HMRC was a powerful justification for the design of the scheme. It meant claims could be automated, which achieved speed and cost savings, and the risk of fraud was reduced. The defendants argued that claimants suggested alternative where women self-certified that they had been on maternity leave for certain periods, well, that would have been wide open to fraud. Claimants countered that the scheme was already wide open to fraud because businesses self-certified that they had been adversely affected by the pandemic. But the defendants maintained that there was a necessary trade-off between simplicity and speed on the one hand and protecting against fraud on the other. The court agreed that it was for the government to strike that balance, that it was reasonable for the government to accept the risk of fraud in some areas while seeking to minimise that risk in others. The fourth justification was the risk of perverse effects if the claimant's proposals were adopted. The defendant wished to preserve the scheme's simplicity to reduce costs and ensure speedy delivery. This wish was a political decision for the government to make. The claimants noted that some tweaks to the scheme had already been made. A change was made to ensure that new parents in the 2018-19 tax year were eligible for the scheme. So why not make an additional tweak to increase the amount of compensation for new mothers? However, the court concluded that some tweaks for some groups did not require wider changes. To tweak or not to tweak is a political decision for the architects of the scheme. It is not a matter for lawyers. The fifth justification was value for money. The claimant's suggested adjustment would have cost money to improve the IT and to incorporate greater human intervention. The defendant argued that such expenditure was not justified. The court concluded in paragraph 85 that the defendant's decisions were reasonable ones, especially given the context of the global pandemic. The scheme was also a macroeconomic policy, so the courts were always going to give the government a lot of leeway. So the design of the scheme, specifically in the way the payments were calculated by reference to the average trading profits, was not manifestly without reasonable foundation. So now on to ground two of the claimant's case, the alleged breach of the public sector equality duty. By section 149.1 of the Equality Act 2010, a public authority must have due regard to the need to eliminate discrimination and promote equality of opportunity. The concept of due regard was fleshed out in Hurley, and this summary was endorsed by the Court of Appeal in Bracken. The concept of due regard requires the court to ensure that there has been proper and conscientious focus on the statutory criteria. The decision-maker must be clear precisely what the equality implications are when he puts them in the balance, and he must recognise the desirability of achieving them but ultimately it is for him to decide what weight they should be given in the light of all relevant factors. So it's an evidential question whether the public sector equality duty has been breached or not, and based on the evidence, the court held that the Chancellor did have due regard to the plight of women who had recently been on maternity leave. 
and there had therefore been no breach of the PSED. So now on to concluding thought. Examining the question of whether the scheme was discriminatory or not, the court relied on a line of argument from Idiatu which I find unconvincing. The court held that the scheme was not discriminatory because the source of disadvantage for recent mothers did not come from the scheme itself, but from a reduction in their income in the past. The scheme is not the source of disadvantage, it merely inherited the disadvantage. The court found a clear temporal separation. The disadvantage occurred in the past, it was not caused or related to the present scheme. Yet, you can't really separate the present from the past in this case. The scheme is a haunting. The level of payment under the scheme is a, is a pale echo of past profitability. The government will pay 80% of a self-employed person's average monthly profits over the last three years. The scheme is very much in the icy grip of the past. If there was a disadvantage in the past, the scheme will perpetuate that disadvantage into the present. So the scheme itself becomes a source of disadvantage, even if it's not the primary source. However, even if there was a breach of Article 14, given the context of the public health emergency, it was justified. The government needed to act decisively, otherwise coronavirus would have choked the life out of many businesses. I hope the judgment is a one-off. Praise in automation, simplicity and speed at the expense of protected groups is one thing during an unprecedented crisis, but such forename would become quite sinister if repeated in less turbulent times. Music